turn your Bibles to Mark 11. This is the culmination of why I told you, some of you, in eighth grade, ask me another day, take Hebrew roots, but I got to tell you why Jesus cursed the fig tree. The reason is because it takes a while to build the foundation. You got to lay the foundation for Hebrew roots. Otherwise, people tend to, to think what you're doing is simply just adding your own thoughts to scripture. Well, you can't just say that. Where's that found? Well, just because it says that over there doesn't mean. So there's a lot of groundwork that has to be laid. Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 14. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. All right. Now, we're going to study the text, right? Before you study the text, what do you always have to do? Stand and say Shema. That's right. Okay, so stand up. Let's say the Shema together. It's by the finger of God that the kingdom comes. That's why... We remember. Okay. Are you okay there, Brandon? All right. Say these words after me. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. Oh, but say it like you mean it, not like it's Monday at 1030. Remember, you're speaking to the creator of the universe who has just hushed the heavenly host to listen to you. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Elohecha ve'chol levavecha uve'chol nefshecha uve'chol meodecha ve'ahavta l'areacha kamocha. Amen. Together in English. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. These are the very words of God. Thank you. Please be seated for my words. All right. The blood flowing a little bit. Why is Jesus so angry in this passage? I'm hungry. I'll go, oh, check it out. A fig tree in leaf. No one's ever going to eat figs from you again. He damned that tree. He condemned that tree. And what did it do? Don't know yet because you didn't read the story. Okay. Why is Jesus angry? Is it because he's hungry? You get a little snickers, get a little hangry. Is that, is that what's going on? Jesus is just kind of upset because he's got an empty stomach? I mean, why does the loving, compassionate, forgiving Jesus suddenly get mad at a tree <laughs> and he kills it? This is the part where you answer. I mean, 
Does that fit anything you know about the Son of God? This is one of those places where without our Hebrew glasses on, this story just simply doesn't make any sense at all. Why do you think Jesus would get mad at a tree, first of all? And why would he curse it? Thoughts? Maybe to fulfill prophecy. Good guess. I mean, does this story not strike you as weird? Exactly, which is even weirder. It's not even the season for figs. Do you think Jesus knows that? Probably so. Goes over, looks on the fig tree, sees no fruit, and says, may God damn this tree to never produce fruit again. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. He just sentenced it to death knowing full well it wasn't going to have any figs on it. Now this now the story gets even weirder, doesn't it? Dawson? What do you think, Cole? Is Jesus having a bad day? Okay, good guess. Maybe he got embarrassed, checked there's, see if there's fruit, and then went, oh, okay, well, no one's ever going to eat fruit from you again. <laughs> kind of safe face. Ben, were you going to say something? Dawson? Maybe it's got image for us as people because we are told that we're grafted onto the tree. Okay. Fruit, now the son of God's just killed somebody. <laughs> That's no good. Okay, this just is weird. And I hope you guys are right with me here with this story. Jesus walking around with the disciples, sees a tree in the distance. He's hungry. He goes to see if he can find anything on it. It's not only not even the season for figs, but Jesus has to know this. Oh, by the way, <laughs> what season of the four is not the season for fruit to come out on trees? Thank you. Did you hear that, everybody? Winter. So do you think Jesus knew it was winter? Yeah, it's cold. Okay. Jesus kind of goes on a rampage from Mark chapter 11 through Mark 14. He's had a bad series of days. If that's really what's going on, he's just having a bad day. Or there's something else going on. What's the problem with the fig tree again, Logan? It's got no figs on it because it's not even supposed to have figs on it. Okay? Problem is, the fig tree was in leaf, yet it was winter. Do you see how that's a problem? Why is the tree in leaf if it's a fruit-bearing tree, which it is, and it's winter? What happens to all fruit-bearing trees in the winter? They lose their leaves. But this one is different. Interesting. The plot thickens, okay? It's winter. It's not the season for figs. There shouldn't even be leaves on this tree. But it's in full leaf. So Jesus says, hmm. Goes over. Checks. No figs. And then the curse. Let's keep reading. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem. 
And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. Have you ever heard this story? He overturned the tables of money changers. <laughs> I'm sorry, he wasn't going around like this. You, I'm very upset with you. Stop that. You, quit it. Boink. Knocking, mm, stop it. No, this is a guy who is angry. John tells us, what, what did he make? A whip of cords. So Jesus sat down and he made a bullwhip? Leather bullwhip? I don't know. He made a whip of cords. The point is, Jesus is upset, so upset, he wouldn't allow, listen to this, he began to drive out, remember when we did this in eighth grade, I said, somebody drive me, because remember, Jesus was driven into the wilderness. I said, somebody drive me out into the hall. Uh, nobody pulled up in an invisible Cadillac and said, here, get in. When you drive somebody, you force them against their will. If I'm to be driven out, you, the driver, the one pushing, is directing. That sheds an interesting light on Jesus being driven into the wilderness for the temptations. Did he want to go? No. In fact, I think he said, I'm not going. And the Spirit said, oh, yes, you are. And Jesus said, I believe it's my choice. And the Spirit said, go now. Do you see what I'm saying? It's really kind of, whoa. Why would the author say the Spirit drove Jesus out into the wilderness? Well, here's another thing. Jesus is driving those folks out of the temple. Are they going, oh, okay, is it a, like a fire drill or something? No, Jesus says, get out! What? Get out of here right now! Whoa, 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 calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. Get out! That's driving people out. I don't think he was punching them or shouldering them, but I think Jesus was yelling. He's also knocking over tables. Guys, these aren't little stools. These are tables, heavy wooden tables, where the money changers were sitting. So you can't just go, dink, and it's a little card table falls over. He's got to grab these things and go, <laughs> like lift them and flip them. I just want you to get this picture of Jesus. He's not this passive, weak, little effeminate man. Hi, I'm Jesus. You should follow me. Oops, I don't like that. I'm going to flip that over. Shame, shame. This is a guy who's so upset. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Now mark that down in your Bible even. Circle the word pigeons. Why in the world does Mark tell us that he overturns the seats of the ones selling pigeons? Please ask me about that in a second or two. That's pretty cool. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer. For all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. That's it. That was his teaching. Oh, okay. Could you imagine your class lasting that long? Okay, hi, everybody. Uh, today's lesson is going to be on uh, cleaning the temple. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. And in closing, you've made it a den of robbers. Thank you for showing up for class today. I hope you got the notes. Turn those in to me and we'll be seeing you tomorrow. That was his teaching. Two lines.
that should also raise a flag for you. It just said that he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. Does your Bible have a footnote anywhere around verse 17? Okay. Listen, footnotes can be really, really, really wonderful tools to have. I want to show you and teach you a way to approach your Bibles for the rest of the life that God gives you. If you were like me at your age, I never opened my Bible unless somebody at church told me to turn to such and such a place or somebody at school said turn to such and such a place. Never cracked my Bible and I would, I would guess it's probably the same in your case. Maybe I'm wrong, I hope I am. But if not, join the club of those that didn't ever read the Bible. Always, always go to where the footnote directs you. Let's look at the teaching that Jesus gives them. And I think, number one, it's going to teach us various lessons. The first one is, where does Jesus always go to in order to give his teachings? Does he use the New Testament? No, why not? It hasn't been written yet. It won't be written for at least another 10 to 15 years. And that's just the first couple of books, letters. If Jesus never uses the New Testament, what must he always, always use then? The Old Testament, okay? That's huge because where do Christians spend 99% of their time when they read the Bible? Isn't that odd? Jesus never once quoted a, a New Testament passage only taught from the Old Testament and you and I rarely ever go to the Old Testament. That's the first thing I'd like you to notice. The second thing is, let's read... Isaiah 56, you said? Okay, let's just get some context. And I have it up here on the board for you. Isaiah 56, verses 3 through 8. This is what it says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from this people. And let the eunuch, let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. What's a dry tree? Yeah, because what happened to it? There's a special word that the Bible uses for a tree that's dry. It starts with a W and ends in ithered. It's withered. The tree has withered if it's a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths who choose the things that please me, hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house, this is God talking, and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons or daughters. Please tell me, what is a name that's better than son or daughter to a father? That's a son or a daughter. Sons, maybe spouse. I can't think of a name that's better than son or daughter other than the love between a husband and a wife. And that may be a clue 
I'm just saying. Wow. You think of like a, like a Hebrew person in ancient times, the son, the firstborn son got a double portion of his inheritance. That was so he could take care of the whole family. So God says, hey, foreigners, that's you, by the way. Hey, Goyim. Hey, Gerim, you foreigners, you sojourners, you non-Jews. If you've joined yourself to the Lord, please let it not happen where the Lord would separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch. Who's a eunuch? What's a eunuch? It gets a little weird talking about, but we could probably talk about it in castrated. Yes, it's a castrated man. And eunuchs were important in other places. The Jews tended not to um, castrate because that was maiming. It was um, mutilation and that was strictly forbidden. But other peoples did and especially harems. You know what harems are? <laughs> a harem is a room full of or a group of women who have been trained professionally to please whomever sexually. They go to classes for years. Esther as in the book of, was in a harem and was trained professionally to please the king. Okay? Crazy stuff. Eunuchs usually were the ones in charge of the harem. Why did they put a eunuch in charge of the harem? Because they didn't want, like, Fred, the guy that spends every night in the gym, to go down there and be like, oh, I'm in charge of the harem? Hey, I know what I'm going to do tonight. You know what I mean? Like, they wanted a guy they could trust to not mess with the king's ladies. So they would put a eunuch in charge of that. So God says, even to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, this is really cool. To love the name of the Lord and be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Wait a minute. Where's God's altar? It's in the temple. Where's the temple? In Jerusalem. So he's talking about the altar of sacrifice right here. He just said, wait a minute. If these guys will hold my covenant, not profane my Sabbaths, I'll bring them to my holy mountain. That's Mount Moriah, by the way, where Jerusalem is. Make them joyful in my house of prayer. What's my house of prayer? The temple. Their burnt offerings, their sacrifices will be accepted on my Jewish altar. What? For... My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Guys, this is Isaiah. This is Old Testament. This is 800 years before Jesus lives. Now, don't quote me on 800, but it's several hundred. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, this is really interesting. I will gather yet others to him 
besides those already gathered. Who are those already gathered in the temple of the Lord? The Jews. So what is God talking about here? Possibly. Non-Jews. This is crazy. Okay, so this is what's really interesting. That's teaching number one. Can you see how Jesus is opening up to them? He just has to quote one verse. And here's the amazing, amazing thing. In first, second temple era, this is the first century. Probably from the previous 75 to 100 years, through the first century, there was never a time in Israel when more people were literate and knew the scriptures better than in that time. Every single man, woman, and child knew the scriptures. And when I say scriptures, I'm talking about the Tanakh, the Old Testament. No one understood the Bible better than Jesus' audience. People that lived 200 years before that or 400 years in Malachi's day, they didn't know the scripture that well. People that lived 200 years after Jesus didn't know the scripture that well. It was like prime time learning. So Jesus could quote one verse, and he did. He quoted Isaiah 56 and verse, what did you say, six or seven? And when he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples, everybody immediately went to Isaiah and went, that's Isaiah. Hey, that's that passage about the, let not the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. That's about the foreigners. Now, does that shed light on why Jesus is so blazing mad that he's knocking crud over? He's driving people out, screaming and yelling, and especially those who are selling pigeons? Are you kidding me? Who is this passage about in Isaiah? The whole thing. Who's it about? It's about the foreigners. So do you think Jesus is mad that the way, and, and where are the foreigners in Isaiah 56, by the way? Where do they continue to be promised to be? With the Jews. And where are the Jews? In the temple. This whole thing is about the temple, by the way. My house of prayer, this is where they'll be. Their burnt offerings, that's where they'll be accepted. My house of prayer, do you see? It's about foreigners in the temple. Does that help shed some light on why Jesus might be really angry? What do you think it could be about? Maybe the foreigners in the temple aren't being treated very nice. Because they're charging them. How much are they charging them? Overpriced. See, I think you're exactly right. Do you know that Leviticus tells us everyone who wants to bring either a gift offering or a guilt offering or a wave offering or a sin offering needs to bring a lamb or a ram, a year old without blemish. And then God says at the very end of all the sacrifices each time, and for those that cannot afford a ram, guess what they're allowed to offer in its place? A pigeon or a dove. Those were the poor people. I don't have 25 bucks for a male sheep, a ram. I'm sorry. God says, it's okay. 
Do you have 75 cents? Yeah, I got 75 cents. Buy a pigeon. For those that don't even have 75 cents, do you know what their third level of poor was? This is people that had nothing. Handful of flour. That's your God. I know there's poor. I'm not going to make you break the bank to offer me a gift offering. If you can't afford this, you can try this. And if that's too much and you're truly that poor, there's this over here. All right? That's a compassionate God. I think you're exactly right. Hey, foreigners, come on. We got your uh, rams for sale. We're running a special deal. It's the Goyim special, the Gentiles special for you, 50 bucks. Wait, you just sold it to that Jewish guy for 40. I know, but you're special. Oh, man. Listen, do you want to offer a sacrifice or not? Because you know what the priesthood was doing in Jesus' day? People used to bring their own lambs, their own offerings. And the priesthood realized they could make quadruple the money if they told people, blemish, unacceptable, blind in one eye, not going to work, don't like the way he looks, kind of got a hitch in his giddy up, <laughs> not going to be fit for sacrifice. Here, would you like to buy one of ours? We've been watching it for all these days and this is one that's fit to serve to Adonai to sacrifice. Oh, okay, but mine won't work. I thought it was perfect. Nope, that's uh, too, too woolly. But ours is just perfect. How much? For you, 35 bucks. But last year it was 25. Do you want to celebrate Passover or not? Yeah, uh, I guess. I got all 50 members of my family here. Oh, well, you're going to need several lambs then. I tell you what, I'll give you a deal. $42 each when you buy in bulk. You just said 40 bucks, man. That's not fair. Do you want the lamb? Do you want to celebrate Passover as God commanded you or not? Do you see the power these people had? And they had for decades been overcharging not just the Jews, but especially the Gentiles. Now, there's a place in the Temple Mount. I don't know if you can see it. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. Check it out. You see this poster right here? Here is the holy place, the most holy place. There's the laver. There's the menorah. There's the altar of sacrifice. Laver would be right there. Here's the altar of sacrifice. Okay, so this is the actual temple. Here is the court of men. Behind that's the court of women. And then you know who gets to stand behind the fence? And by the way, the fence is about this tall and you could go if you wanted to. Now, when you did that, you just signed your life away and they could kill you. But this is the court. The largest part of the entire temple complex, court of the Gentiles. What does that tell you about God's heart? Does he just want to save the Jews? No, Hey, all are welcome in my house of prayer. What about the Gentiles, man? They're kind of, especially the Gentiles. You're supposed to be a light for the nations. So yeah, the Gentiles have a place in my, my temple. But you know what this is? That's called the stoa. And that's not an old Jewish woman from New York's way of saying the store. I gotta go to the stoa. No, a stoa was a stable. It's where they housed the animals that they would sell 
for the ridiculous profits the priests were making. Well, let me ask you guys a question. You're pretty smart. You know about economics. I'm a mom and pop shop and I buy a little rinky-dink three-table hole-in-the-wall restaurant. Man, it's Taco Divino, if you've ever eaten there here in Midland. Pretty soon, portions start out big, prices are small. That's how you start out a restaurant. As you get more successful, what happens to the portion size? What happens to the price? Whoop, right? Prices always go up, portions go down. What do I do with all that extra money? Do I just go to like Cozumel every weekend? What do I do with my money? I invested in my restaurant and what, was, what happens to my restaurant? It gets bigger. I buy the place next door. Now I've got 20 tables. Still got lines out the door. Making great smaller portions, bigger prices. What do I do with that profit? I buy another place and I open up another and another one and I get that real big. Well, they can't really open up another temple. <laughs> Guess what happened to the size of the stoa? as the priesthood began to gobs of gold in their pockets. What do you do? I need more animals to sell because we can sell them so high. I don't have enough room in my stoa as it is, so what do I need to do? Enlarge my stoa. Now it's going to be under construction and I'm going to enlarge it. But where's the stoa located? Court of the Gentiles. What happens to the court of the Gentiles as the stoa gets increasingly bigger. They're crowding out the Gentiles, but they're just Gentiles. Who cares about the Gentiles? Can you hear the priests? I don't care about the Gentiles. Well, listen, we're really encroaching on their space with this new stoa, this new add-on. I don't give three flips about the Gentiles. You think God does? Where's the other teaching from, by the way? Yes. Okay, Jeremiah 7.11. Yeah, you want to read it? I got it up here too. 8 through 11, sure. Yeah, you can always stand and honor God whenever he speaks. I always will. Awesome. Cool. So giving a little more context, that's exactly what Jesus quotes. He only quotes a small part of even one verse. But here's a bigger context. This is what God is saying to his, well, I'll let you figure this out. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you've not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, the temple, which is called by my name, and say, oh, we're delivered. Praise the Lord. Only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? There it is. Jesus only has to grab one phrase, den of robbers, and everyone immediately knows, 
That's out of Jeremiah 7. So what's so big about that? You and I, we don't know the text. So we have to go and read it. They knew exactly where Jesus was going and it scared them to death. 